You're listening to Travel Tales with Fergal. Hello and welcome to part two of my County Clare destination specials. For more information on all your tourist needs, check the website visitclare.ie. When you ask a Clare person for recommendations and tips, it's always a long list. That's why I had to do two County Clare destination specials to help do justice to this stunning county on the west coast of Ireland. In part two today, you will hear from County Clare councillor Claire Collar Malloy, the Mayor of Venice, who tells us all about my hometown, which is the friendliest and tidiest town in Ireland. Then you will get to hear the wonderful Mike Lynn from Bunratty Castle in Folk Park, and Mike's full of tall tales. Then you'll get to hear from Dave Mearns of Burn Gold Cheese fame, who tells us all about the Burn Geopark and the award-winning Geofoods Group, and all about that amazing place, the Burn. Finally, you will hear from Rody McMahon from the Shannon Estuary Way Retreat who tell us all about the Shannon Estuary area. Right now, let's hear from Claire Collar Malloy first, the Mayor of Venice. Claire from Claire, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Fergal. I'm delighted to be here. So your title is Mayor of Venice and what a great one because it's now known as the tidiest and friendliest town of Ireland. So that must be great. It's a super, super accolade. And, you know, you you sometimes reflect on that when you're sitting in the role or uh, in the role as the mayor of Ennis, uh, the district, uh, uh, as the first citizen receiving such accolades. You know, you realize this is not personal to you, but it's wonderful to be in the position to, to be uh, so honored. I mean, the friendliest and tidiest town in Ireland based on the Tidiest Town competition and then the Retail Excellence Awards. It's a huge honour. And these uh, honours are actually rolling in because we also were recently awarded Purple Flag status as as a town that is safe and um, uh, for nighttime economy and enjoyment. We also have received the Age Friendly Ireland Award uh, as the top town in Ireland for all the works that have been um, that have been uh, installed to accommodate those with accessibility uh, issues. So now that's four in a row, Fergus. You know, so I, I grew up in Ennis, I Lifford Road in the centre of the town practically. So I can attest to all of those, particularly the, the friendliest town. That was a recent award. So I'm just interested to know, why do you think it got that award? Well, of course, it's huge effort by the retailers because it's a, it's a benchmarking of the standard of excellence and service provided by all kinds of retailers, not just, you know, clothing or boutiques, which indeed we're very honoured in Ennis to be known as the boutique capital of Ireland. But, you know, you're talking about huge effort put in by the retailers, be they hospitality, the pubs, the, um, the uh, shopping, but it's also the fact, I think, personally, it's the environment that we experience here in Ennis as a medieval town with narrow streets, mm. causing us all to look up more and say hello more and smile more. And I think that uh, lends towards the standard of care that, that visitors and residents of Ennis experience in the various uh, retail, um, retail experiences. So I, 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 this is second in a row, not second in a row, but is, this is the second time that Innes has been awarded the friendliest place in Ireland. 
It occurred also back in 2018, I believe. And you're right. I always taught that about Ennis, that its magic ingredient is those narrow streets, because you're right. You meet everybody. Everyone says hello to each other. The streets are always busy. It's always buzzing. So there's always life day or night in the town. So I think that's what makes Ennis so special, isn't it? Those narrow streets. I, I think so. I, I really do think so. And Innes is a very, very important central uh, capital of our county. And as a Clare County Councillor, we have to acknowledge that Innes being the gateway for the county, mm. its strength and its popularity and its success will bode well for the whole county. Um, so that that's really, really important, Fergal. And I think a lot of work is underway in Ennis. Uh, such as the Ennis 2040 company that's been established to look towards the future for Ennis to ensure that we're well-placed between a Galway city and Limerick city. You know that we will stand strong if uh, economically um, and, and socially and culturally in many different ways by being proactive in our vision for Ennis going forward. So all of these efforts are underway in Ennis to ensure that it is a vibrant centre of our county into the future. You're right. And you could say the centre or the heart from a tourism point of view, it really is the centre or the heart or the gateway to all of the county. You know, we're going to be talking to people on the podcast from from the Shanestri up to Loch Derg, up to East Clare, to the Burn, to down to Loophead. And it really is the centre from a tourism point of view. It's a great base, isn't it, for people to then see the rest of the county? Absolutely. It's a super base. And uh, but we continue, as I say, to strive to ensure that people realise coming to County Clare and not coming in to the heart of the county is not a good idea. The heart of the county gives off so much in terms of positivity. I was just last week walking through the town at about 8pm. I had said a couple of words to launch the Tradfest here in Ennis. It's in its 28th year, Fergal, wow. and it is continuing to grow and grow. And it's it's a festival a traditional festival of Irish musicians for Irish musicians, for Irish music musicians, but throughout the world. You, I was talking to a gentleman from Norway who is honing his skills at the fiddle playing and comes to Ennis to these to these uh, trad fests, annual trad fests, to learn and continue to improve his, his, um, his music. You know, and as I'm walking up the town, the narrow street of Abbey Street, Already, you can hear the music flowing from uh, Knox's Bar is where it was flowing from. And I said, I said to myself, a rainy night, kind of cold. I said, wow, how easy it would be just to pop into the to the to the to Knox's Bar and enjoy the music and and so on. It's it's a wonderful town from that perspective, okay. uh, that, you know. So that that's one thing I think Claire and Ennis will continue to excel at being the the capital for traditional music also. Yeah, because of the Flanu in May. I think that goes back to the 70s. It's so well known. It was so well run. Remember the, the Flacu and the Harem, which was amazing. And, and do you know what? It's all year round, isn't it? Like any night of the week, there's a trad session on somewhere in Ennis. That is true. And, you know, I think it's 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 not too much tooting our own horn, but speaking with Kjolth's people, I think they acknowledge that the Fla went down in Ennis, as it was in 2016 and 17, it's just an excellent venue for such a celebration of Irish music and culture and dance. And, uh, you know, we cannot have it all of the time and it takes a great deal of effort to have it in Ennis all of the time. But I think it is considered fair to suggest that it is probably the best venue in Ireland for the Flacule and the Heron. 
It's true because the trad is is the soul of the county. And like another thing I noticed during the summer was um, you know, with the GA with Cusick Park and now with the championship matches are coming to Ennis. And again, with Cusick Park being in the centre of town and the fans were out on all over the streets of Ennis, again it shows how an atmosphere is created in the town, isn't there? You you use the word fans, you know. I'm I'm suggesting we use the fan in a different way, that the fans band throughout the town, filling mm. the streets with huge excitement. I believe the Clare Waterford game was a particularly popular game because the weather was incredible mm. and, and it was a hugely positive atmosphere in the town. In fact, I understand some some pubs ran out of the necessary <laughs> libations on yeah. the day. I think Bulmers was running very low. But yeah, the Cusick Park being located where it is, it is, it's like a, a beating heart for sporting events in our town. And all of that is is boding very well for our future vision of the town, which is mm. to create an environment which is where you want to live, play, work and be more indeed climate adaptive, you know. Yeah, you know, we talk about the trad music, but all culture, a tip I would give people is glow or it's a great centre. And if you... If you are going to Ennis, just to make sure what's on there, because there's always things on, isn't there? There is, Fergal. And another thing to add about Glore is, is the, the enhancement of the whole Glore experience will come on board. I would think it's going to be 12 months to 18 months when we'll have the completion of the new Ennis uh, um, library the library, a fabulous new facility. It's going to be adjoining Glore. So that's again going to add to the whole offering that Ennis will have within walkability from the centre of town. And the other area that is enhancing its offering for visitors is the Clare Museum, which is again located right in the centre of town next to the Temple Gate Hotel. That Clare Museum has been recently refurbished. It houses the headquarters for the Ennis 2040 company, but it also had recently a very special event there where we unveiled the permanent location of the De Valera. I think it's a 1947 Dodge yeah. and it has had huge interest. A lot of visitors coming just to see that. So I think we will continue to improve the offering also at the Clare Museum for visitors who come to Ennis. You're right. We haven't even mentioned that you've got that. And then right around the corner from it, you've got the Daniel O'Connell Monument and the old ferry. So Ennis is also... Well, which I always loved. It's, it's steeped in history, isn't it? That's it. Steeped in history in a medieval, uh, in, in, in medieval surround that I think it causes us all to just reflect on all those that have passed by in prior years and all the history that's 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 embedded into that built environment. So on. Yeah, it's very positive. Hello, Mike. You're very welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Hello, Fergal. Nice to see you. You you work in the the world famous Bunratty Folk Park, which is just an amazing place um, that has been there a long time. I remember when I was a kid actually going there for my um, for my Holy Communion. So it's been there for a yeah. very long time. Yeah, when the, well, your Holy Communion is not that long ago, Fergal. But <laughs> it, yeah. but yeah, Bunratty, but the, well, the castle is here since fourteen twenty five. And even I wasn't around that time. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm working here since 1982. And I absolutely, I love this place. And, and I think the history of Ireland is here. Exactly. And to me, the history of Ireland is awful simple. And I always say to tourists, you can see the history of Ireland when you come into Bunratty, because there's only two things to the history of Ireland. And the two things are the women of Ireland are number one. Nothing will ever, ever come near the women of Ireland. And I'm not made into religion or anything, but their beautiful, simple faith in God is number two. There's only one or two. 
And when you go into the old houses that are here in Bunretti, you won't see anything in a house because back in, when I was young even, we didn't have anything. But there'll be a picture of the Sacred Heart and there'll be a statue of Our Lady. And I can't explain, I know my own childhood, the love, peace and happiness and how to live one day at a time, which is something we can't do anymore. I love coming in here and I know that if you visit Bunretti Castle and Fort Park, you can spend a day here. Uh, even if you don't meet anyone, you can spend a day. But there is animators here, like musicians, a doctor in the doctor's house, a storyteller, school teacher, and lots and lots of animals. And they are here to bring the place to life. But I think if you didn't meet them, you could still have a great day here. But it but does I mean, bring it. It really does bring it to life. I mean, that's what you do, isn't it? You're you're an animator. You're a school teacher, isn't that right? I do a school teacher in the summertime, yeah, and a bit of storytelling in the. And there's a big Christmas event on here at the moment, which is... Which is huge. It's the 21st year of the... Yeah, how fast life just passes by. It's the 21st year of um, the Santa experience. And uh, it's magic. It's magic because you can actually see that um, uh, children have not changed one bit since when I was younger. Children are still the very same. They still love Santa Claus and they still love Christmas. And I love being here. We're so lucky people who work here, that we can be part of uh, still living those times because most people, I think we're kind of gone from that. Life is too fast. Always been very popular at the folk park with American tourists. Have you found that tourists, like it's probably very emotional for some of them going through the park and seeing things, and maybe their ancestors, how they lived? It, 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 that's, yeah, and they, they, uh, they, they love to tell you their story and they love to hear and uh, if they have a little bit of information of where their ancestors came from and, 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 and to see the houses that they would have lived in and how simple life was. And they'd, they'd be telling you about when they left Ireland. And I always think if they left during the famine time, how lucky they are to be here talking about their ancestors because so many people that left here didn't get anywhere. We lost so many people on route from here to America and Australia and England. We lost, I think, over half of the people that immigrated. But we were just talking before we started about um, in Bodike about a famine graveyard that I didn't know about. And that's a really interesting thing, I would say, for if people want to get a, like to really see the history. Yeah, that's the, the, and there's possibly so many things around every area in Ireland and definitely around here that we don't know about because we're so busy that we haven't got time. And I discovered um, 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 the famine grave between Bodike and Tungreni, uh a few years back because of, a, of a, a person I knew who worked there and bought me to, to show me the the graveyard. And there was a workhouse in, in Scarif during the famine time. And at, and tw- at an average of 12 people a day would die in the workhouse. And they had a room in the workhouse where they brought the people that were dead in the morning. And they didn't bring them down to the trenches in that famine grave until the following day. And that's one of the reasons uh, where the word wake comes from, because they give them 24 hours to see if they'd wake. And I suppose if they were awake, they just drag them back into and maybe bring them back again the following day because probably would die anyway. But they were put on on horses and, and carts, brought down and thrown into the trenches. And in the when the growth isn't good, you know, when the growth is gone in the wintertime, you can still see the, the, the marks of the trenches because they've gone down a little bit. And uh, that's just, that is just says so much about the history of the, the place and how awful famine time must have been. You mentioned the workhouse in Scarf. 
an average of 12 people during the famine would die in the workhouse. Oh, was there a wheel? You mentioned about a wheel. that Yeah, a grinding wheel. They got a new grinding wheel and it came uh, by boat and it got found its way, came to Fines, I think, in Limerick and was brought from Fines out to the workhouse, but it was never used. And when you were visiting, if you can get a chance to visit the famine grave, it's at the entrance of the famine grave and you can walk in and just take in the history of how awful the famine must have been. And tell us about Craig and Owen. Which is uh, an amazing sight. Um, oh, yeah. Beautiful, lovely ring fort in Craig and Owen and a lovely castle, uh, Lord Garth's castle. And they have lots of animals. It's a beautiful place for a picnic. It's lovely in the summertime. Uh, it wouldn't be as busy as Bunratty, so it's more peaceful. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful place. And there is animators there. And what era does it go back to? Is it Iron Age or what? Uh, the Iron Age, yeah, 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 yeah. You have, uh, yeah. And it shows what farming's like and what an Iron, what a moat, whatever the, what the, the, what were they called at the time? Those forts, or you know, and the ring forts, yeah, and, exactly, and the, fairy, and, and the fairy forts, yeah, and and, and they have a, uh, and those people there to demonstrate, and uh, mm. it goes back to the Viking times, and and they would have Vikings there as animators and. There's so many, that, that's a beautiful place. Uh, and just to mention Innes Friary, because uh, now I don't know much about Innes Friary, but I know the history of Innes Friary is it's well worth a visit if you happen to be in Innes or around that area. And there's so many places that we don't know. Like Innes Friary is right in the middle of the town. I used to love going in there when I was young because it's, it's a gorgeous church and atmospheric and the history of the place is just amazing. Like I really would recommend to go in there if you're in Innes. Yeah, and you can actually read the history as you go around because it's written up on the uh, and of course the old church in 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 Tungreni, the the oldest church in Ireland is in is is the graveyard in Tungreni. Yeah, that's a must do. I would say that's the oldest continuous church in Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, continuous in use. And then there's a beautiful, priceless stained glass window in in uh, in that church. It's it's, oh, it's beautiful, and they have lots of artifacts that and lots of um, the old uh, tools they used and. Uh, and they have them on display in the church. And it's open all during the summer. Just to go back to Bunratty, where you were. So Bunratty is open all year round, as we said. Like it's it's the Santa during the winter time, and then during the summer, it, it you've got your old town, etc. So it's all year, isn't it? It's all Bunratty is all year round, and you and 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 that's such a welcome here anytime you come. So and you as I said, you can spend a day, you can spend your whole day here, but if you want to spend an hour, you can spend an hour. And I, I, the, something I've never done actually. Always wanted to do was the um, the banquet in Bunratty, and the, and the, the medieval banquets. Um, they're so popular. They're magic. You you just have, I couldn't explain the banquet because you'd have to go there. The, the entertainers are brilliant. The food is lovely. Um, it's a special night. Special night. And that's you, been going since probably since when the early eighties. Uh, um, no, no, it's going since nineteen sixties. And you're laid up to the castle with, by a piper, and 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 and, and, and uh, the butler will take you in. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's you, uh, I think everyone should go to at least one banquet. And there's also banquets in um in and the poor castle during the summer. There's, there's no shortage of banquets around here. There's no excuse. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing in Clare, isn't it? There's always something to do. Yeah, well, the music, you have the great music in Clare, you have, uh, and you have the traditions, and, and as we were saying, and the folklore, and, and I can remember how me, how, how, how um, you know, in the olden times, well, of course, it came from the pagan times, I suppose, when uh, there was a, a lot of um, um, evil spirits and, um, and and darkness. I think a lot of the, the, a lot of the um, folklore comes from the darkness and the things that you could see that you couldn't see and the things that would happen that didn't happen in the darkness and uh, stories of 
of what went on, like like my legend from Rathrow. Yeah. Um, so many things went on in the back in them days. But it was the real, the real, the real, I suppose, Pishogri or the real folklore comes from the need to get through the winter time. You needed to, you needed to survive the winter. And in order to do that, you had to prepare. And it started in May. And May Eve was a huge thing. In my young days, even May Eve was a really, really big thing. You had to prepare yourself. You had to get everything right so that you could get you could get through the, the, the winter. But there was these were people who worked so hard with so little. But then there was like there is now, I suppose, there was lazy, bad-minded, evil people who would want to do something to stop things working out for you. And that's where all the Peshogs and all the um the things that you had to make sure didn't happen. Like pe- people would um, cut a hawthorn tree and leave it just outside the door for the whole, until 12 o'clock on May Eve. And you had to keep it where you could see it because these bad people could come and take your hawthorn tree and dump it. And they had your look, your look of the year was gone if that happened. And they used to decorate the trees with um, ribbons and whatever, they didn't have much. But maybe old eggshells, broken eggshells, they paint faces on them. And, uh, and, and, and then when the, after 12 o'clock, you had to take the hot, you took the hot on bush away and you put it into a shed or somewhere it should be safe because you had to burn that in the following morning. And uh, the ashes of that were spread all over the yard. And you had to get your, all your animals, especially your cows and walk them through that because they believed that once you've done that, your cows would uh, would uh, remain well for the 12 months. They wouldn't get sick for the next 12 months. Uh, there were so many things. And I remember the, the children, the butter, the first the first children was very important. And they had such beliefs, un- unbelievable beliefs of the bad people, these evil people. And the, the woman would be making the children on, on May Day. On May Day, the first children of the year was awfully important. And uh, if people came to the house, there could be evil people that would come to curse the children and bad luck for the rest of the year. So you had to say when you came to the house, um, God bless all here and God bless the work. And then you'd say, I'll give a dash. I'll do a dash of that for the woman. Because the, 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 all the children that time were dash children and the butter was made by heating a staff up and down inside. So you came over and give it a couple. And once you'd done that, you couldn't put a curse on the butter they believed. And that butter was salted and put away, and that was used for the whole year. When they'd be milking in the morning or evening, all the pens for the milk would be laid out on the table, and the woman cut a little bit, just took a little piece of the butter and put it into each pen, and that prevented the milk from anything happening during the year. That look after your milk and your cream for the whole year. They had so many, and I remember the young girls going around in the evening time. Oh, the fairies were blamed for... See, the bad people blamed the fairies for a lot of the awful things that they did. Like the, they might pull a whole a whole stalk of them um, if they wanted to damage you. They might pull a whole a whole row of your potatoes, and they dig the end one, and they put in a half dozen of eggs there. So when you dig that up, you think you had been cursed, not by the awful people that done that to you, but by the fairies and and, and, and by the spirits. But I remember the young girls would go around in the there was good fairies like human beings, there's good fairies and bad fairies, and the young girls would go around and uh, collect flowers on May Eve. And they'd collect buttercups, um, uh, cowslips, uh, yellow primroses. They'd try to have everything yellow to represent the sun and happiness and, 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 and warmth. 
and uh, they'd go around to the houses of the people and only the people that they liked. And they'd spread the petals of the flowers on the windowsills and on the doorsteps because it was believed that no bad fairy would go near the smell, beautiful smell of the flowers. But in case that didn't happen, they'd open all the windows in the house until 12 o'clock on, on May Eve. All the windows were opened. All the doors and the, uh, you know, the presses and all the drawers were pulled out because there was a belief that if you trapped a bad fairy and he didn't get home before 12 o'clock, he wasn't able to get back for 12 months. And why would he be cross? And you'd pay for that. That's, how do people believe this? And I remember they brought religion into it. And Our Lady was big. And I can remember in the big farmers' houses when I was small, they'd have, a, for the whole month of May, they'd have a statue of Our Lady. And they had a crown around her head of flowers. Um, I think bluebells. And they'd have a little a, li- a little um, glass of flowers kept fresh for the whole month of May in front of Our Lady to try to protect you from these bad people so that you could have a good harvest and that you'd survive the following winter. But you had to do it every year, sort of kind of tough going. They had so many beliefs and there's so many things that they, they were worried about. Stories about everything. I actually remember that um, uh, there was an old saying, it's raining cats and dogs. And there's a reason for everything. And apparently that came from uh, the rich people would have, there's, there's three types of tatch. There's um, reed, which is the main, there's rushes for the poorer people and straw for the reed poor people. And even 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 the, the good tatch you'd have to repair every seven years. But poor people couldn't repair. And especially the eaves of the house, um, the, the straw would be flat. You'd have a lot of uh, beautiful, like a flat bed on the roof. And we, in this, back in them days, would get a lovely summer's day. And it would change, it would really warm and it would change all of, all, all of a sudden. And there'd be a bang of thunder and a downpour. And apparently the cat loved, loved the cats loved the heat. And he'd be up in the, the straw roof and he'd be laid out on, 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 the, on the roof. And the next thing is he wouldn't hear the bang of thunder or the, the, the downpour, but the downpour would knock him off the tatch. And he'd go down, he'd be flying down past the window. And the woman in the house, she'd be doing something maybe at the fire and she'd see him passing the window. And her neighbour might say to her later on, that was an awful bad shower, Marilyn. Oh, gee, it was awful. It was raining cats and dogs. Uh, I reckon that's where <laughs> the that raining cats and dogs comes from. <laughs> and you know, the amazing thing is, is like just very near Bunratty, when the motorway was being built, um, there was a fairy tree there. Am I right in thinking it was like, that was like a stopping off point for the fairies and they moved the motorway to go around the tree, didn't they? You were so right. Um, Eddie Lenehan, the great storyteller around here, got got involved and uh, was very upset and and, and and not happy. And the, and then they, they went around. But actually, that has died since. That that yeah. that tree is gone now. And I suppose maybe when it dies naturally, it's okay. Yeah. But you know, what I thought was amazing, every time I'd be driving down, when while the motorway was being built, I used to just watch this. It was like this motorway and trucks and everything all around this one little tree. And I was going, isn't it amazing that we're still close? You know, the stories that you're just telling, but we're still, it's still in our DNA. If you if you read the folklore of the fairy tales, or, or read the folklore of the fairies, you kind of wouldn't laugh at them. I, I, I wouldn't laugh at them. And I remember all the things that um, at Halloween, and in May Eve, oh, I can remember the things like um, uh, uh, you, do, you, you don't get your hair cut around Halloween because if you do, it won't grow back. You don't store your tea backwards, anti-clockwise. If you do, you'll be going backwards for the rest of your life. 
I can remember. Oh, and you'd never sweep the dust of the of the kitchen or any of the rooms on May Eve or on May Day. You didn't sweep the dust out the front door or the back door because you were sweeping out your look for the the whole year. And I remember at midnight, and we wouldn't be up when we were youngsters, but at midnight on um, Halloween night, don't look at yourself in the mirror. If you do, you'll see the devil looking over your right shoulder. Bunratty Castle, you said it goes back to the 1400s around that time. Like who, what family or who was it that actually built it or owned it? Or... Well, the O'Briens, the McNamaras, and oh, those, those, uh, the Studarts were the last family to live here. And I, dis- I discovered when reading about the Studarts were that not too many landlords lived in castles. They would they'd usually build a big house, fine big house. And uh, the Studarts, when they were here, it seems that their servants were in the bottom half of the castle and their soldiers were on top. Because if you get to the top of Bunratty Castle, you can see the River Shannon. You'll see the boats coming in. If the ca- And Bunratty was the main castle. You'll see the boats coming in and you'll be ready in case you were attacked. But there's also all over Ireland, you'll see, they're not castles, but they're like, um, they're like one-legged castles and a lookout post on top. And they're all lookout posts. And they'd be manned at all times. And a lookout post must be in view of at least one more. And if you go to the top of Unratty Castle, you'll see one or two of the lookout posts around here because the word could be sent to the main castle from very far away that you are going to be attacked. But the Studarts built a beautiful house. The reason there's 28 acres in Bunratty is that the Studarts have built a lovely house out the country here. And how, it's not that long ago to me, the house was built in 1804 and Thomas Studart lived until 1884. And it's the most beautiful house. It's it's a beautiful house. And that's why there's 28 acres. The Studarts would have owned thousands of acres, but that's what's left of Studart land. But uh, uh, a lot of landlords, 80% of landlords, when you look back, were nice people. No matter what we say, it was the agents that were sent from England and the government in England that were the problem. Lots of landlords were nice people. Lots of, most of the ones I checked out were okay. Just a matter of interest, do you think there's any reason why traditional music is so um, special in Clare? It's so, it's so important to, to Clare. Uh, it comes from the need, the, for the need for something to... And I remember, because I do a, a bit of storytelling, and uh, I know that um, back in the olden days, a storyteller would go from village to village, now, he would possibly have the same story, but he'd use the characters of the village to... And, and there was really no end to any of the stories. There was no... But as time went on, and we had big farmers, and they'd arrange a session in the house, and they'd invite musicians, and they'd invite singers and dancers, and they'd invite the storyteller. And the storyteller had to entertain then, because this was entertainment. So I think a lot of the old stories, there's a lot of truth in them. But the ends are usually not true because they had to put something onto the end of it to make people laugh. Okay. But, uh, uh, the music developed. Uh, there's always been music around this area. It's a tradition of um, of music around Clare, and uh, and there is in lots of other places. But um, uh, it was it, it, you can dance to music. It brings people out to sing, and uh, it was so important back in the times when you needed something, and people wanted to be happy, so that. Um, so that they had the, the, the and it's mu- music is different everywhere. They tell me in clear music is beautiful. There's great musicians in clear. If you go back to the list of and, and, and a great session is a great um boost, you know, if you're down or if you don't feel so good. And 
It's a great, it's like walking here, because when you walk in a place like this, no matter what's in your head, you have to forget about it when you come in here. You're in a fantasy world in here and you live that, you live that day and somebody will cheer you up and you'll be in better form going home and you can pick up the problems easier and work with them when you go home. But, um, um, but music is big and clear, always has, and it's to do it, um, do it with um, giving people a bit of a boost. Exactly. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Mike. And uh, I would so recommend people to go to Bunratty because uh, as you say, as you can hear here, you get the history and you get everything, you know. So the folklore, the history, culture, it's got everything. And a great day out, a brilliant day out. And, and there's so many pla- uh, places to go to in Clare. And I think the people in Clare are nice. They're not bad. I know they're <laughs> yeah. in Ireland are nice, but they're a little bit nicer here, maybe. Well, do you know what I love? What I think my, my take is, is that what I love about Clare, Clare people, is that Clare people, I've never met a Clare person that doesn't love Clare. Uh, I think, yeah, I think you have, yeah, of course, I'm here most of my life, and I suppose maybe most people love the place they come from. But I do love Clare, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to leave here. Uh, I, I love this place. I, I love variety. I love variety folk there. And, uh, and, and, uh, it's that's my life that's my life so i i wouldn't want to be any hurries hi dave you're very welcome to the podcast thank you very much fergal delighted to be here and delighted to be involved so we're just going to talk about the burn and the cliffs of moor unesco global geopark with the food aspect of it we got involved um more directly in 2021 yeah so um Without blowing our own trumpet, we're we're a, we're an obvious choice because we tick all the boxes. As in, we've been a geo food here for the last thirty five years. Yeah. We've been doing the geo food thing without realizing that we we're part of a UNESCO uh, global geo park uh, and and geo food. When you get involved with with the UNESCO geo food, it really brings home what it's all about. It helps us to focus. Um, our awareness on the sustainability of of um, not just tourism in the Burren region, but biodiversity, uh, like climate change is happening, and and like everyone has to be aware of it. So it has put a real uh, focus on sustainability for us and and the whole in the tourism industry and how important food is uh, a part of that and. And not just a food, but being a geo food. So I, I suppose for I don't know whether you, you're you're aware. So the the criteria is, I'll simplify it if you like. It's just that all our ingredients has to be sourced within the sourced within the burn region. Uh, it has to be burn people or people from the region who make the the, the cheese, and then we sell it just within the burn region. So we don't. Uh, sell it out to to any retailer outside of this region so and the idea is it's kind of an obvious one for us but maybe not for everyone else but the obvious one for us is that it involves the community so um as you know like the the burn region has been in the limelight especially on on rte and and with um the farming practices the winterage and all that um aspects of it so so this has given the local people a real insight into how what what it means to be geo food geo food and and that has given us a real impetus to to go and and drive this a bit further and involve the local people so like Damien Martin is our, um, I suppose I can't really call him a new cheesemaker anymore. He, he's well settled into it now at this stage. So he lives here in Ballyvaughan. He 
drives past Palnebrona every morning going up to collect the milk. He 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 um brings it uh, he collects Alex. Alex is a is a guy from the Ukraine who who's just come into our, our system last year. So he's still with us. So it's like he, he collects Alex who lives next door to him, brings him up, collects the milk up in Davern's um at Cahar Connell. Uh, the, the bring down the milk and and then the, the process starts here. So we haven't gone outside a, a, a five kilometer radius yet, yeah. you know. Uh, and and then we we make our cheese. Um, and just let people know, it's burn yeah. gold cheese, isn't it? Burn gold cheese. Look at a lot of people still refer to it as aloe cheese, and that's okay too. Um, I I'd be a little bit of a stickler in that that I want the the brand to be recognised. But but I'm okay with with being uh, aloe cheese. It, it, there's there's a lot of local people who will never call it anything else, <laughs> oh, yeah. aloe cheese, and and that's fine. Just to go on from what what, what I was saying there uh, a few minutes ago about you know in, in bringing Damien into it, uh, like he he's just continuing um, this. I, I want I want to mention Dermot O'Callaghan because Dermot was probably our cheesemaker for the last fifteen years, and he's moved on as as people do. But but it, there's been a continuation. So so Damien has stepped in, and he's another local man, and and that's what it's that's what uh, being a geo food uh, is about here in in the Burren region. It, it's about sustainability for the local people uh, the local people then get involved because because they see the benefits of it it's keeping like we, we have a lot of people working here uh, and just in the farm shop alone we, we have uh, 10 people that, that that will be involved you know so I'm I'm not even talking about the the, the bigger side of it where 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 Nula would probably talk freely about the birds prey center and the cave itself and, and how many people that employ it's it's all part of of being involved with with the unesco global geopark as well because they put us on the map and we have to make sure that we're sustainable within it and when when we get visitors from the us australia the far east whatever it may be we, we want their carbon footprint to feel comfortable coming in and and that's what we're buying off them if you like because our carbon footprint is so small but they are make, keeping us in jobs when they come in and see our cheese being made, taste it and bring it home with them. So that so we don't send it out in, in, in a jumbo jet, they bring it with them, you know, and, and it it kind of neutralizes a bit of the carbon footprint for them. Could you just give a rough idea for people that don't know, like sort of the burn, the, the geopark, what, what area does it cover from so uh, like it, it goes as far as the, the cliffs of Moher um um and it goes to to uh South Galway uh, which is North North Clare, and and over as far as uh, Listumbarna to Cliffsmore, yeah. um, and and all up along the west coast up up to Galway, uh, and including some of Galway, uh, South Galway. Then, you, you know what 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 it does, what the geo food thing. The, we we were at a, had an event um, at the Winteridge, uh, and the location is somewhere over near uh, roughly Mullockmoor area. That that. That are, uh, it, it, it's it was just a field with a shed in it, and in fairness, the the organisers did uh, a magnificent job in uh, facilitating us there, putting up marquees. Uh, there was a huge turnout. Uh, I think they sold over five hundred tickets. Uh, there was a huge turnout uh, for that, uh, just for the walk alone and bringing walking the cows up. Because uh, just very quickly, just to let you know, Winteridge is is a very unusual. Um, 
farming practice that happens. I, I don't know of anywhere else, but I think it may just be the Burren region. So traditionally, if you were in, in the Alps somewhere, you would bring your cows down for winter and put them in a shed. And and uh, and that's that's normal practice. And it's you can understand because there's snow on the mountain. But here in the Burren, um, the practice of winterage has been going on for for as long as farming has been going on, I suppose. But uh, a big part of that, it, it, what, what it does is the cows are, are driven up the mountain every autumn, uh, October time, uh, usually around Halloween. So so when they're on the mountain, they're, they're not actually fed on the mountain, so they have to forage. So they're eating um, the scrubland. They keep the scrub down. They, they eat all the, the, the progressive grass, if you like, the grass. Which, which mean then when springtime comes, it leaves lots of room for, for all the uh, native wildflowers to, to, to come up. And that's why the burn is probably one of the uh, lucrative places to come looking for, for spring flowers. And that's another, it's another aspect of it mm -hmm. that people literally come just to see the flowers in springtime. And yeah, you know, like, is. and they talk about that the Mediterranean and the Arctic flowers, you know, it's you, you, you can side have by because, side. Exactly, because the, the like the, the the rock, the limestone heats up um, during the day. It 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 frost is is, is very unusual uh, on the on the, the on the burn in the rock. Like for for winter time, it, it heats up during the day. It stays stays warm at night, and so it's you don't have like the lowlands where you're having uh, a frost or whatever, and it and it's not giving the the unusual the Mediterranean flowers and stuff like that an opportunity to come to come true so uh, it, it's it's a big aspect I know we get a lot of walkers in uh, in the farm shop um, so th they've come to see the spring flowers and then they're surprised to see cheese being made and and it it just works really well together uh, and it gives us an opportunity to to educate them on on why we're here and why we're making the cheese and and how it works and how its sustainability is is so key and important to our, all our jobs uh, within this region you know it's true because we always think of the burn as like that beautiful landscape but you know say for the food it's the it's the soil and also the water the limestone and the water it does give it a thing i would say unique flavor Oh, definitely. And like, uh, I, I'm just going to, I suppose, brag a little bit about uh, our own um, raw product, uh, the milk that, that, that we, so uh, at the farm, we've been drawing milk from the Darwin family farms since 1985. Um, so they are up, um, if people would know, Palnebrona, Carraconnell, they're, they're just in between the, the, those two places. So right in the, in the heart, of the burn. So they're foraging on wild grasses, herbs, flowers, whatever it may be, but but that will give us a, a unique flavor to our cheese. It's, um, it gives us a very high butterfat content and everybody knows that butterfat is what you want to make a really good cheese. So so that's, that's one of the unique aspects to our cheese, along with all the others that I discussed earlier on, you know. Food has become a big emphasis, especially in, in tourism now, because just just from from visitors that we have even this year because there was a lot of focus on the burn but but they want to know they want to be educated uh, they want to know uh, how you survive in in this area most people look at it and they see bleakness and then you explain 
the whole uh, biodiversity and, and uh, the fertility of, of the, the, the land that's here, that it's not just a bare rock and that there is cows foraging on it. And, and we do make a very fine cheese and there is lots of cheese or lots of food producers. Yeah. Um, and, and like, you know, we, we talk about the, uh, the burn food trail. It's something that can grow a lot uh, bigger than what it is. And, and um, with the awareness now of, uh, the Burren, the whole uh, global geopark and, and food in tourism. I, I see a, a, a very bright future for, for all of us producers. Very you know? much. Another famous one is the Burren smoke cow, smoked salmon. I, am I right in saying I, the Queen used to get it sent over? That She loved it. That's right. I, I, I don't know the details of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't but... like to let Brigitte down by, by, by misinterpreting. But yeah, uh, look, at it, it, the, the smokehouse is a very big addition to um, everything that happens in the Burn region. Um, it's a great attraction in, in they have a lovely visitor centre as well. And, you know, it, it's a big part of, of, of us all here, you know. And it really is like the burn. There's just something very special about the place in winter or in summer, isn't there? Yeah. And and like so many books have been written about it and uh, so many people have have come here and been smitten by their first visit and then become forever visitors to it. Uh, and, and it's people like that. It, you know, like w- w- I, w- while I've been working here, I'm here about five years now at this stage, uh, like I was blown away by it before I ever came to to Alloy, and um, I, I fell in love with it, if if you like, with the burn first, and then I said I I need to 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 work here. I need to. I was looking for work life balance, so when I came and and met the guys here. Um, it was a bit of a no-brainer for for both of us. Uh, I was able to bring um, some of my skill set, and and I just wanted to be part of what they were doing here. I saw a huge uh, opportunity yeah. within the farm shop and within the the whole cheese production side of it. Um, and and we've we've done some great things now in the in the last few years. And if it wasn't for the likes of the Burn Food Food Trail or the UNESCO Global Geopark and GeoFood itself. Um, a lot of these things wouldn't be able to be done, and I I think that's where everybody needs to take a bow, and and you know that's that's the community working together, that's the whole region working together, and and I'm not just speaking for myself. I know the geo food producers all feel the very same way because they can't you can't do it on your own. You need you need um a community to work yeah. together on this, and that's that's the beauty of it. And you know, just one last thing. Like I don't know if you walk, but one of my favorite walks is the the old famine road on the burn. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. T- to be honest, there there are so many walks, and and I and, and I had at one stage thought, oh, I've I've done all the walks now, and then you meet somebody who is a real walker from from, and you find out another few walks, and then you keep going. And I know I haven't, and but I, yeah. I walking on the burn is is. Uh, is a very big part of my hobbies and um and, and I always you always figure something new, you learn something new, you see something different. It's it's a different landscape every time you walk it. Uh and and probably wintertime is one of my favorite times 
to walk it because uh, it's full of wildlife. And, and that's that's what, what a lot of people look at it and they see that barren, as I said earlier on, but it's actually not. It's full of wildlife and um, one of the best places to see birds of prey. And I mean, it's an integral part of what we do here as well because we have a birds of prey centre. But um, it's it's something you know it's part we include our biodiversity uh woodland in in developing habitat for for wildlife and and birds of prey like at the back of the farm shop during the summer we had uh, we kept it secret for a while but we had a a sparrow hawk nesting there and they fledged two chicks which was wonderful uh, but we were able to listen to them and um we we did keep it secret but it, it was it was good to see that it's so close to to our, our own birds of prey center it didn't impact them at all so we feel really um good about that and it was right on the on the edge of our natural woodland because we do have a natural woodland here as well and we're trying to and that's what goes back to the burn bio piece that I, I told you we're working in association with them to reintroduce the, the burn pine uh so we're going to put that on the periphery and add in a new um or extend, if you like, our, our woodland to incorporate that as well. So, Rosie, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're going to talk about the Shannon Estuary Way and, you know, you could say it's off the beaten track or a hidden gem. Other people would call it for Clare, isn't it? Absolutely. It's not a destination that people would, when they arrive in Clare, they're, they're accustomed to head up towards the north, up to the Cliffs of Moher and Alloway Caves, without a doubt, unchartered, un- unspoiled beauty, rugged nature by the estuary, by the waters, coastal views. Where, where does it cover? West Clare, so the west coast of County Clare. I mean, the, the water starts, um, you know, when you leave Innes and you're heading towards Ballier, Termaclan, and you, you begin to see the waters of the estuary. And then you come through Balnacali village, which is a picturesque village, a quaint village situated on the banks of the estuary. And when you drive through there, you continue on to Kildysert, a fishery town surrounded also by the waters. And then you continue on to Labashida and you're on the coastal road and you're very close to the banks of the estuary and also really close to West Limerick. It's only like literally if you were to travel across the water, maybe 10 minutes. You continue on and you come to a village called Knock um, and then on to Kilimer, where you can cross the ferry if you wish to go to County Kerry. Um, and that would take you 10 minutes into West Limerick as well. So they're very close. And then continuing on from Kilimer, you come into Kilrush. And that's where the wild Atlantic Ocean meets the Shannon Estuary Way and the waters are deeper. And you have um, Scattery Island and the batteries and lots of different um, visitor experiences for people. And, you know, like the Shannon, you know, it's so well known, like the the, the longest river in Ireland and the one in Europe, isn't it? So it must yeah. really, um, uh, you know, must be the centre point of that region, is it? 100%. I mean, from from my collaboration with Shannon Estuary Way Destination and hearing all the stories, I mean, the times when there wasn't transport, it was the Shannon Estuary that was the, the main transport for goods that would come from Limerick across the waters and from various townlands. And there would be selling of butter and pigs and turf and whiskey, and that would be exchanged. It would be almost easier to travel by water than it would on land. So the history and the heritage goes right back, and there's great stories to be told about the Shannon history. Could you tell us about your retreat? Where is it and what to tell us about it? 
Yeah, so our retreat is um, it's about five kilometers, no, sorry, two kilometers outside of Balnacali village. Um, and it's elevated looking out onto the Shannon estuary. And um, the, the building is purposely built with glass front to take in the panoramic views east facing so that we can capture the sunrise and we can also capture the moonrise. And it looks out to the waters and beyond to, to, to West Limerick and you can see the Galtee Mountains. And it's nestled there in a, as you said, a hidden gym, a really quiet and peaceful location and really does match what people look for in terms of retreat and getting away from the business of life. What, what's your website? Because I, I tell people to go to your website because you have a video from that looking at the views and there's a ring fort and you see the river in the distance. looks amazing. What's your website? My website is www.shannonhistorywayretreat.ie. And what do you offer? What do you do in the retreat? We do wellness day retreats. So we offer unique retreats for people to come for a day or often two days. We'd have a retreat and we'd, we'd um, outsource the accommodation locally um, to support local accommodation providers. Um, and, and the wellness day or two day retreats would consist of sometimes yoga and sometimes workshops that are specific to to um, to clients. And the outdoor wellness area, as you probably see in the drone, where the, the sauna and the hot tub are located and the plunge pool. And we offer vegetarian food and just allowing people to to arrive and just completely relax into the space and connect with the land. That's the reason why the windows are, are so big looking out onto the land. And there is that feeling of connection and returning home to themselves. Um, Wim Hof Retreat is quite popular at the moment. The Iceman, I don't know if you've heard of that, Virgil. Yeah, I saw it on your website. Yeah, so that that that's popular as well. And the Shamanic Journey and um, Pregnancy Yoga Retreat we had. And I think there's, that was, I don't see any other in, in County Clare. So it's wonderful to give a place for pregnant women to come and be with a, a doula and experts. We're hiring experts from, from around the area that are experts in their field and offer people ways of, you know, managing negative stress, anxiety, and maybe looking at mental health and looking at, you know, other forms of ancestral healing and healing modalities as well. And Joe, one line that stood out for me uh, on your website is I love Claire. And it kind of comes across. You do have a passion for this county, don't you? Oh, very much so. I grew up in Rowan, which is in North Clare, and I'm 20 years in Balnacali now with my husband. That's his land. And I grew up in the land and so did my parents and their parents. And we're all from Rowan, uh, from Clare. I, I don't think, I, I don't know, did any of us um, leave? So it goes right back. So I guess it's in the DNA. It's deep bedded in the cells. So I have a, a great passion for County Clare, for sure. What makes Clare unique, do you think, from other counties and the wide Atlantic way? Yeah, I think it's because it's so surrounded by, by, by the water that no matter where you go, there is that incredible beauty um, and the rolling hills and the, the, the mountains and the burn and all the change of the landscape. One minute you can be in the burn covered by uh, limestone and not as many trees. And then suddenly you can be... Um, in the middle of 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 County Clare and the 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 native woodlands and um, it's so much to offer. So many lakes, so many. It's surrounded fully by the water, and I think it's the people as well. We're we're fiercely welcoming, and there's great crack and banter out of us, and 
um, traditional music and we really have kept a lot of our, our traditions alive in the county. You're right, actually. Everywhere in the county has got water near it and there's something very, I would say Clare's very calm sort of place and that's the calming quality of the water, isn't it? Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, you've seen the community of swimmers now that has, has erupted in, in Ireland yeah. and there's something about the water that when you're beside it, you feel fiercely calm. And I guess that's what we saw where we were located. We we're like, oh my God, everywhere you look, where we are, you can see see the waters and there's something about when you're close to the water, that feeling of calmness. If there was one place for people like going to your area that you'd recommend to see or do, what would it be? I guess even even to, not even just to come to the place, but to stay, to mm-hmm. stay a night in the place to give yourself time to explore um, paradise, that the house that's built in, in the 1800s is very close to us. And there's a castle in the village, McMahon. There's a beautiful new cafe in the village that's just opened up recently and many other cafes in Kildysert and Labashida. So not just like sometimes you can just come out and visit for a day, but I would say to really experience it, come out and stay a night and link in with a local historian to take you on a walk to really hear the heritage and the history of the area. It's it's incredible. First of all, I want to thank my four guests from today. My four guests from episode one, which if you haven't listened to yet, you could go back to listen to that now. So over those eight guests, what really shone through was their deep love for Clare, a deep love which I have. It's such a special, special county. It's got so much to offer and if you want to check out, you know, where to go or itineraries or history throughout Clare, check the website visitclare.ie. And I hope what this podcast showed is that between East Clare, the Shannon Estuary, West Clare, Ennis, North Clare, the whole county has got so much to offer, you know, with natural resorts like the Burn and beaches and food and culture with the trad music. So the county's got a bit for everyone. So I would really recommend all my listeners to check out County Clare. So safe travels. Take care. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Virgo.